keep on kissing babies and hugging fat girls. Sell out full of suffering, succotash, son. But it's me, Austin. Oh, son of a bitch. What? It's me, Austin. It was me all along, Austin. And your teeth look like two pike too, Billy. And you book a match with me, that's right, Killing. Look at me. I'm a total package. I will rip him apart. I'm pissed now. Where to, Stephanie? Welcome, everybody, to Total F and Marks. I'm your host, the king of sad style, the man with the largest calves in the world, the St. Germain event. All names I gave myself uh, because I am a manic depressive. Uh, our guest today, I'm super excited to have him. It's uh, it's kind of a dream guest. Um, I mean, the legendary, does he need any introduction? He's talking. He's on the phone with me right now. I don't know if he needs an introduction, but I'm going to give it to him. Colt Cabana's here. Thank you for doing this, Colt. Thank you. Thank you. Talk. Tell everybody about my uh, about my calves. Oh my God, your calves are tremendous. That's what I model my calves over. Oh my God, me. I remember me and Bagwell. We went to go get the surgery together, and then <laughs> I I backed out at the last minute, and right. he went he went through with it. You know. No, he went through with it. But now you're his pimp, so it, it all works out. You know. <laughs> uh, make some side money on that. Um, yeah, man. I'm super, dude. I was. Uh, you know, I was I was watching a bunch of uh, Mac Classic uh, the shoot interviews before this today. It was so fucking funny, <laughs> dude. Well, I guess you could appreciate that as a. I don't know if that was like the first time I thought like, oh, I think I have some comedy chops. But essentially, I did a half hour of improv off of off of nothing. Like there was no. And for those of you who don't know, talk like I don't know. I did a shoot interview when shoot interviews were really cool, but it was just meant to be a basically a mock shoot. And uh, I just bullshitted for a half hour, and um, I think that was the first idea where I was like, "Oh, I think I have some comedy chops." Yeah, you got to check it out. These, and, and you know, especially because, like, you know, like, and, and I was also thinking about, you know, you've done so much in wrestling, but you know, it it, it it's it's funny, you know, like it, it, you know, like a lot of people, you know, are defined by, like, you know, like traditional thought is, you know, you're 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 defined by a championship, right? You won the NWA. World Heavyweight Championship, and but that's not really that's not the shit that people really remember. It's stuff like Matt Classic, you know. It's like Roddy Piper. It's like Piper's Pit. It's all the stuff that's outside of it, you know. For wrestling fans, sure, but you know, it's the it's the outside of the box stuff that you've done. I think that that really defines you and helps you stand out, you know. Yeah, well, I think it's funny you say that the outside. Like, if I all I want to be remembered by is just like this dude who did everything and like had. I don't know when it's all said and done. Thirty years of just like been all the weirdest places, wrestled all the weirdest people, just this crazy variety of like a career that would like just would be so weird to anybody else trying to get into wrestling and being like that. You can do all that in professional wrestling. So uh, you know the idea that I did this random show on MTV Two back in two thousand and six, and then took that character and did it at this weird burlesque slash comedy slash. Uh, wrestling lucha wrestling show in Los Angeles for ten years. Like these are just all weird things that kind of are in my career, uh, just as a whole. So yeah, of course the Matt Classic is right up there with with something weird that a lot that allowed me to do and took me to weird places. 
And it's just one of these things, too. It's like if you keep reinventing yourself like that, you don't have to, you know, break your fucking neck. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's yeah. like, it's like, yeah, it's well, like, what a fun way to work smart, you know? Well, with the Matt Classic character, too, I've, you know, people have asked, like, oh, do you do that that much? And and I always say, like, I don't really like doing it that much. I'll do it for Lucha Vavoom because it's a totally different crowd. But um, I don't think the Matt Classic character today within, like, the, I don't know the the world and the tropes of independent wrestling. I don't, I don't really. I, I've tried to do it a, last, a couple of years ago and it didn't really work. So I think the days think of this character, I don't know. Like everyone's maybe too smart for their own good, and um, hmm. or, or just it's not even maybe that idea of that like 30s or 20s wrestler. Like maybe we're too far along that people in the crowd don't even understand what it's making fun of or. You know, there's I don't I couldn't pinpoint it. I've just noticed I just noticed in my mind and in my head that like I don't think this is a thing anymore and it might just should stay in the past where it was. You know, it's interesting you say that and, and the parallels with stand up and I've always I've always said this about stand up. Like as far as stand up and comedy, you kinda work ten years to perfect this character, right? And really get this character over not, not character, I should say persona over, right? And and it, it's not true. There's some people we know, like Carlin and, and you know, uh, Pryor, Chappelle, who have legs. But a lot of the times, you know, especially when it comes to, like, the 1980s comedy, you you work your ass off to get this kind of voice and persona. And then the public sees it and they love it. And then three or four years later, they're like, yeah, I kind of want something new. And you're like, no, you, it, it took me 10 years <laughs> to get to this. Can you give me 10 years at least? And then you live off of that character forever. Like a good character, you know, I think two good wrestling characters that would, would be in that exact, or a wrestling a comedian would be Dice and the Honky Tonk Man, I think, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that's a great, that's like, a great parallel. And he's kind of, he's kind of taken that character to his shoot interviews. I mean, he has some of the best fucking shoot interviews ever. Incredibly offensive. I'm not going to stand by everything who, that he an- says. Andrew no, Dice Clay? I mean, you could go with both. <laughs> Either <laughs> or. But uh, definitely, definitely honky tonk. Um, yeah, it's it's it. You know the parallels. I've always there, there's there's so you know there's so many parallels. I think between comedy and wrestling, the big difference being um, you guys need the painkillers and we just use them recreationally. Uh, oh God! But well, I don't need them, but I get the idea. <laughs> you know, but yeah, it's uh, I I think that it's. It's just that it's it, essentially both things are just the carny lifestyle, you know, going from town to town. Yeah. I always think it's fun when I when I talk with uh, the comedians and they're like and 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 I'll be and I'll you know they'll or I'll be on the road and we'll be on the road at the same time and they'll be like oh my god we live the same life but then the comedians will always be like yeah we live the exact same life except you have to get up you have to work clean work out clean you have to eat clean and you have to take care of yourself where we we have to do all the stuff that you do except that part and um that's just so much part of the business too is like you know the fun part of going on the road and seeing all these different places and traveling and and being up late nights but then you know as a comedian you know uh generally you guys can then wake up at two and go to the movies and go to the buffet and eat like crap oh or, yeah know, we have to take I, take care of our bodies i can't imagine being in appleton wisconsin and having to look for grilled chicken like that to <laughs> me sounds like the biggest amount of purgatory like, I, i've had i've had situations where i've like eaten an entire pizza gone on stage and ended up hooking up later in the night on the same pizza box you know 
which, you know, probably back in the uh, 60s and 50s wrestlers could do that, but definitely not now. Yeah, um, I mean, a little bit of me wishes that I just had this crazy, like, one-man gang character that I could just, you know, not for, like, the sake of my character, but for the sake of my body, where I could just, like... And, you know, the, I guess Cole Cabana, the wrestling character, isn't, like, known as a body guy, and that's on purpose, because I never wanted to have to be so jacked that I'd have to live, you know, have it my whole life, but... Um, you know, I do have to stay somewhat in shape, but I, I a little bit of me kind of was like always wished I was just like George the Animal Steel. I could just do whatever I want. Well, you know, and it's interesting too, where the whole myth of the bodybuilder has kind of been shattered by UFC, and that's 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 a great thing. Like now, now it's like Daniel Cormier is you know the be- you know like you know by UFC standards and probably most standards can kick almost anybody's ass on the planet, and he kind of looks like your out of shape dad. You know, so it, having that now and being like, oh, you don't have to look like the ultimate warrior to be an ass kicker. Yeah, but I've, I've had, and I've had this conversation with people like now, especially that are in WWE too, and we're just like, well, this person's only on the roster because they look that way, and pe- and some fans will be like, no, that's not a thing anymore, but it is. Like, you still have to, you know, it's so hard to weasel your way in, and and you know, Kevin and and Sammy are examples of like, this is how you could weasel your way in is spend fifteen years like just busting your ass and making a name. But if you want to do it really quick and come from the NFL or whatever, and you look jacked, like you'll still get that same look uh, just as quick as those other guys did. But you know, it is possible to be done, but you do have to put in like a crazy amount of time or have to have like the best gimmick ever or the best promo ever. Yeah. And if you, if you, if you guys want to like go on YouTube and watch some of Kevin Steen, now Kevin Owens matches against cold. It's awesome because like, Kevin's just the perfect straight man for what you do, you know? It's similar to, like, how he is with Jericho. Like, he's he enhances funny, I think, you know, without making it totally about him. Um, so, you know, it, it, it almost, it's kind of like, I, I like it because it's almost like, you know, like Midnight Run with, like, you know, it, it's that kind of thing. Um, Charles Bronson and Robert De Niro, is that right? <laughs> it was, no, it was, uh, what's his name? Fucking the guy, Gordon? Charles Grodin. The guy who was on Charles who Grodin. replaced Andy from, Rooney on sixty minutes, which I don't know. Everyone should uh, from know him Beethoven, for Beethoven, I'd like to think. Beethoven. Oh Clifford, yes. yes. <laughs> Beethoven's second. Underrated. Underrated. If, if there's anything Is it rated? I don't think it's even rated, no. But I had it on VHS as a kid and I watched it a lot, so it was rated for me. Um it was it was actually pretty dark. Like by the end of it they were like like Beethoven was like strapped down in an animal laboratory testing place, you know, it was like where the fuck is this going? Is this becoming like a PETA commercial? Jesus, I don't even remember. Yeah, yeah. I've, I have an encyclopedic knowledge for uh, things that are completely fucking useless. So, <laughs> you're from Deerfield, Illinois. Midwest crowds, I still say, the best comedy crowds. Because there's nothing else to fucking do. Whether that's Madison, Peoria, like, Bloomington, Indiana. I always have the most fun in the Midwest. Partially because I think people there have to make their own fun. You know, when I went to Evansville, Indiana for college. So, but what was it like growing up in Deerfield? Oh, uh, did you see me wrestle at the Evansville Coliseum in 2002 in no, front of 30 I was, people? I was, I was in a blackout probably by then, but, uh, oh. <laughs> well, how, how was it? Uh, it was one of the craziest nights of my life. This was this, 
it was a John Collins tour after ECW folded. He brought in a bunch of ECW guys, and and I we were on a couple of the shows, including with uh, Tracy Smothers and and uh, Rocco Rock and the Public Enemy and Chris Champion. And then someone Chris Champion like told everyone that they all stole money out of his bag, and then just kept on yelling that they were taking money out of his food and and started to threaten people in oh the locker God. room. Uh, I did a three-way with Sabu and Tracy Smothers. Um, it was in this giant coliseum in front of about 35 people. Oh, my God. And it was one of, the most, one of the most fun nights and tours of my career. Um, <laughs> Jesus Christ. But, uh, Deerfield was uh, Deerfield's a, a, uh, I'd say a Jewish suburb, but, um, you know, it's probably 50% Jewish. So in our, in our, in the, or probably 40 or 30% Jewish, but in the Jewish person's brain, we're like, that's so many Jews compared to the rest of the world, which is usually 0%. Yeah, I think that's um, more than uh, Israel in, and New York City combined. So in Deerfield? Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm just, yeah. But it's, yeah, that's, uh, yeah, you don't, you don't think of, uh, Deerfield, Illinois as the Jewish capital of the United States, but, yeah, no, that is. but we got enough. We got enough there that there's uh during bar mitzvah season we're doing two or three a weekend at that point, you know. So <laughs> what was your bar mitzvah um, like? Uh, you know, I wanted it to be wrestling, but um, I was too embarrassed. That was at 13. That was probably the one point in my life where I was like, oh, I guess I shouldn't like wrestling. I should like girls. And then eventually I went back to wrestling. Um, so mine was. Uh, Mine was about Six Flags Great America, and each each centerpiece was a, a roller coaster, and um, it was a very average bar mitzvah. My my parents didn't have that much money, and also didn't want to spend that much money, so it yeah. was just middle of the middle of the road uh, compared to everybody else who was trying to out outshine everybody else. I guess yeah, they had Six Flags money, not Disney World money, but that's still I think more than Busch Gardens money. So nice middle class bar mitzvah. There you go. Um, yeah, I. Uh, I've never. Been, I don't think I've ever even been to a bar mitzvah. Did you ever do a birthright trip? No, I tried to. So the birthright trip is, if you're Jewish, you um, up until 26, they'll give you a free flight to Israel, and uh, you have to stay with them for 10 days and do all those trips. A, I hate doing like organized trips. Um, I just I hate like being bussed around, I guess, and told what to do. And uh, I was wrestling at that point. I've been wrestling, you know, I was wrestling when I was 18. So when I was like 23 or 24, I was trying to scam the birthright people into flying me over and wrestling for this promotion in Israel that wanted me to wrestle there but wouldn't fly me over. And, uh, I, you know, we were in the talks of it, but uh, it wasn't able to happen, so I didn't go on my birthright. <laughs> when you were, man, that's so crazy that you entered that world at 18 because i you know i really i mean i did comedy in high school and i did comedy a couple times in college but i, I really didn't start doing stand-up until i was 22 what th th this is an interesting question for me because I, I you know like every time you listen to a fucking wrestling podcast there's always like the point where it's like well this old timer took me aside and he said this thing that really changed my career and what's the word and you don't have to give names obviously i don't want to like bury anybody but what are some of the worst bits of advice you've gotten when you were 18 as a wrestler that you look at now and you're like, what the fuck was I thinking? <laughs> um, oh, uh, well, Ray Webby, who uh, lived, I, we used to travel up to Minnesota once a month. Um, and I was a, fr I was a fresh, I was a sophomore in college. So I was living, 
I was going to school in Western Michigan, and the whole crew from the Steel Domain in Chicago would drive up seven hours to to Minneapolis, St. Paul, Minnesota, and wrestle at the Armory up there. But I was three hours away in Michigan, so I would drive to Chicago, and then we'd all drive together. So I was doing twenty hours back and forth, Jesus, uh, once 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 a month, and it was the greatest. I have no complaints. But once you look back and you think about it, you're like, "Well, that's a lot." Um, so Ray Webby uh, was. Um, I don't know what he was doing up there. He was just kind of a hanger on or but if you um if you do some research, he's the person who fixed the fights with Derek Dukes, uh who was a boxer and uh, I don't he really got know anything this... about boxing, so this is, you know. Well, Derek Derek Dukes was in the AWA and he was a professional wrestler and there was this giant scandal in Minnesota that um Derek Dukes boxed and he got in this gi- giant scandal and the only reason I know this is because Chris Rock did a bit saying there was only three people, three black people in Minnesota. That was Prince, Kirby Puckett, and Derek motherfucking Dukes. Um, <laughs> and so uh, so Ray Webby, uh, he, he told me, he goes, I was 19 at the time, and he goes, listen, you, you can make it to the WWF. Like, you're good. You just need to dye your hair. Um, and so... <laughs> I, so I bleached my hair blonde, man. Oh, man I was you like did the Eminem move. Yeah, he's like Ray, Ray Webby was like, all you got to do is dye your hair blonde. I was like, fuck, all I got to do is dye my hair blonde. So <laughs> I started up, and at the time, like that was like where everyone would do the tips, you know, like yeah. this was two ninety nine, two thousand, and so I was too cheap and broke to do the tips. So I just kind of tried to do it myself, where I would just like paint the upper tops of my hair. <laughs> But it would it wouldn't work. Um, um, but then once you got that first haircut, then it like looked good. But um, so that was a that was a move that I did thanks to Ray Webby at nineteen. That didn't really pan out. Also, my uh, my uh, trainers told me I asked them if I had to take steroids to uh, make it in wrestling, and they they said eventually I would have to take steroids. Um, but they're like, you know, you don't have to take them now. You're just learning how to wrestle. But eventually you will. And so I, so I've never really taken steroids. So, mm-hmm. um, I remember at the time being like, Oh, thank God. Like, at least I don't have to take them now because I don't want to take steroids later on. Well, you know, I was just like, also, I was like, I don't think I'm ever going to make it to the WWE. I don't look like what they want. So right. I, I don't think I have to take steroids. I, yeah, I always was, you know, I'm, I'm fascinated by the steroid. So I saw that, uh, documentary bigger, stronger, faster, and they kind of like hinted that a lot of the steroid, you know, the overdoses there are, are a myth. Um, and, you know, and then kind of had a follow up documentary where, you know, the real the real, you know, the real killer is our painkillers, you know, Oxycontin. And I mean, have you seen I mean, like, is is roid rage a real I'm a kind of un, uninformed about it, but I've I've heard, you know, I've seen shade thrown in different directions. But it seems to me like painkillers have killed a lot more people than, you know, steroids. I, I don't know. Yeah, I'm kind of ignorant to it all. Um, I don't really, I don't really know much about like drugs or what what people are taking, what people are doing. I remember I I wrestled Balls Mahoney the day after Chris Candido died, who was his best friend. Oh, and I saw Ball, I, I saw Balls Mahoney. He was snorting up right before my match. Oh my god! And I was just like, I'm like, oh my god! I don't know what to do. Because I just assumed he, I assumed if anything you snort was cocaine, and so he's snorting cocaine, and I'm like, this is he's going to be all on drugs, and then someone was like, no, it's not cocaine, it's Adderall or some I, some other thing that people chop up and snort. So, um, which that, that Adderall that is not, like the worst thing you can 
<laughs> give to somebody like to try, especially somebody who's going to have a drug problem later on. You know, it's just that you're like, no, it's Adderall. It's prescribed. I'm sure we're going to be talking about Adderall in, you know, like in 50 years, the same way they talked about how they were prescribing methamphetamines for, you know, the, the mm. you know, the 1920s housewife or something, you know, like it's just going to sound incredibly think- antiquated. I think Red Bull too. Like I think these energy drinks people will be talking the same way. Um, oh, same absolutely. thing. I think too. And I'm, I'm a yeah, big offender so. there. Like you know, when I started headlining, uh, you know, like uh, when I was like you know six and a half years into comedy, and I would you know like I didn't really know what it was going to be like to do 45 minutes in a row because I was so used to 15 minute sets in New York, and I would have fucking three Red Bulls before I went on stage. And at the time, I wasn't drinking and doing drugs, and I've definitely stumbled since then. I'm sober now, but. Like, I was getting on stage, and I was like, and then I would get back to my hotel room, and I was up till, like, 3 a.m. and getting the worst sleep possible. And I'm like, yeah, maybe this taurine shit isn't what it's cracked up to be. Maybe it doesn't give me wings. Or maybe it does in the sense that I'll see an angel when I'm 55, you know? Yeah, I think that might be the idea. <laughs> uh, and then go, going back to steroids, I, I, yeah, I do think it is the concoctions of... Um, of just putting everything together, all those different things mixing with one, I think has taken a lot of the lives of the wrestlers. Yeah. Um, and it, I, I, I also wanted to know, like, you know, outside of wrestling, like when you were coming up, like just to, cause you know, I, you know, wrestling is such like a theatrical because, you know, when I was a kid, it's like, I knew, you know, I knew wrestling. I also knew theater really well. I wasn't really a big sports guy. And now I followed the New York giants, but um, was there another like art form, you know, like I, I, I know a lot of people say comic books or movies or, or something else that kind of shaped your creative development within the business? Oh, yeah. Stand, stand up and comedy in general, for sure. And I think anyone who knows me knows like I have this affinity for stand up. And um, I, I usually like so when I was wrestling, well, I did love I was obsessed with sports until I was uh, until I got into wrestling. And then I really found I didn't have any time for sports. Also, right. I, f- I felt that um, I watched Sports Center every single day before high uh, before high school. And then when I got to college and real life, like you don't have to get up at seven in the morning. So I just stopped watching Sports Center, and then I just didn't know what was going on in sports. Um, but I know this might sound weird, and uh, I don't know. But I I always felt that that, that Dimitri Martin Comedy Central half hour that he did um, was super influential on my career. In the terms of like, uh, I think that was about 2003 that I that at least that was on like every single night on Comedy Central, and and at that point I had been wrestling since I was 18, so about four or five years, and I was just like a basic wrestler, and I was you know learning how to wrestle and, and just doing wrestling, and I always kind of like in my head, and I I know like you know I I don't know I'd seen Mitch Hedberg uh, on TV and, right. and Stephen Wright and the and those kind of guys, but something about the timing of that just hit me where it was just like here is an art form of stand up, and then to me Dimitri Martin was just kind of really just breaking all the rules. Uh, he he was, and I don't know if you know I don't know if comedians find it cheesy or not, but for me it was just like all the other ones were just a dude on stage and then this guy's got these funny drawings and he's got the, you know he's got the, all the gimmicks with it and i just it really allowed me to kind of look at my art form of professional wrestling and being like you we can i can do anything and it'll still be right. wrestling and that's kind it's kind of when i started really really exploring with the comedy and wrestling and just doing just just not being a basic wrestler no, I, it's, I that that's interesting. Bringing up Dimitri Martin, yeah, and he's very different from 
Mitch and uh, and Stephen Wright, and I guess today's modern example would be like an Anthony Jeselnik because you know that they're one liner guys, you know, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, Dimitri was a really out of the box guy, and especially because I started, I really started stand up in two thousand six, and you know, like that Rafifi crowd, and you know what eventually then kind of transformed into the Whiplash crowd. That that was, you know, he was a big he was a big influence on that. And I think people kind of forget that, you know, and, and I've always had really nice interactions with Dimitri and I've seen him like kill on stage. And, you know, he had a, sh- he had a show that kind of had a short live on short life on comedy central and was the it guy. But I, I think he'll, he'll come back. You know, it's like, it's almost like in a way, like, you know how emo Phillips has kind of come back in a way or like Bob, like Bobcat is a friend of mine is, is totally reinvented himself. You know, he, he went from being that kind of, you know, uh, you know, the, the quintessential '80s comic to now, you know, kind of a triple threat. You know, can direct, write, act, you know, act his, his show on uh, Sci-Fi is great or Truer TV. I'm sorry, is great, but it's like a Sci-Fi, almost uh, eerie Indiana for adults, um, which uh, I think it's Misfits and Monsters. And I'm giving Bobcat a plug. Um, yeah, True TV. I uh, Bobcat and I we met out in L.A. once and. We follow each other on Instagram, and it's always very weird to me when he favorites a picture of mine, and I'm like, "Oh, that's weird, Bobcat Goldthwait." Yeah, he's like the like, sweetest guy, the sweetest guy. Yeah. You know, he's he's, but he's oh. also one of those guys who's been like he's experienced all of show business. You know, like you know, it's crazy to think that you know you're starring in, uh, and obviously this isn't a Bobcat Goldthwait interview, but you know you're starting in these in these '80s summer movies, and then you're directing episodes of Jimmy Kimmel. You know, it's just he's seen all of the business um, and he has and he has an understanding and he's been able to do his own thing in the business without having to just, you know, chase whatever the new trend is. So, right. Yeah, we bonded over. uh, I I had heard his bit about Upchuck the Clown at the Gathering of the Juggalos and I've wrestled at the Gathering of the Juggalos for six years. Oh, man, how was Um, that? So uh, we we struck up a conversation off of that. God, I gotta uh, hear the about best. that. You liked it, huh? The ga- oh, I love you know, like that's like I said, like uh, I'm I I'm looking for these experiences. Like independent wrestling has taken me to the weirdest places. So even when something is awful and a promoter is awful and something's happening that's bad, like I'm I'm probably thinking of it in terms of a comedian where they're, where they're like, I can get material out of this. I just think like. I guess maybe a little bit I'm like I can get material for my podcast but I'm just like this is just what it's all about like you know like I have I don't know I'm I have enough money that like if I don't get paid for a, a week like I can pay you know I could get by the next week it's not a big deal so I'm just chalking up experiences I'm trying to I'm trying to live it I'm trying to I'm trying to wrestle and be in the weirdest places I remember uh Matt Cross and these guys and, and this was one of my one of my big regrets is they used to wrestle at a prison in Ohio oh and I was God. always super upset that I couldn't wrestle in the prison but um yeah I remember wrestling for the for the clowns um uh, you know, it was nice. I was a bad guy. I still am, Officer Cole Cabana, and I was covering the. I was wrestling this guy, this guy Weedman, who was a good guy, obviously. <laughs> yeah, of because course. In, the, in that world, <laughs> they took um, a, they, they took a lot of thought to that character name too. They're like, yeah, fuck it, he's Weedman. Do it. Get out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and I was covering him uh, for a pin, and we just got like hit with like what I thought was water, and then I go, oh, that's not water, is it? And he's like, no, that's definitely piss. Oh, and, Jesus um, Christ! And for some, 
for some reason, like, I don't know, like, you know, I never got to wrestle in Puerto Rico in like the 80s. I did wrestle in 2005, but it wasn't like it was. And I never experienced like real heat and real, uh, you know, like real. I mean, I guess I have heat and emotion, but just not the way that it was when no one gave a fuck. And so um, it was kind of a throwback to like actually have a character that garnered this kind of heat. and People really hated him and, yeah. and expressed that kind of emotion in, in the in the fans. And so. Um, you know, for my art, I didn't mind piss being thrown on me, I guess, <laughs> at that time. If I had actually names for these episodes and just didn't call them the guests, I would call this a little piss goes a long way. There um, you go. <laughs> that's crazy. You got fucking thrown urine at you while you were wrestling at Gathering of the Juggalos. I mean, that is just the most Trump's America thing I've ever heard in my entire life. Uh, there's a I, I, I we wrestled for the for the, the clowns in uh, Farmington, North Dakota, uh, in front of I don't know it was like five thousand people. It wasn't the gathering, but it was one of these one-off shows. And I put a clip on my YouTube page where I made a supercut of like people throwing stuff at me, and it's like it's like five minutes long of just like can after can after nickel after oh God, spit, just, and me trying to like yeah trying to block it and throw it away. <laughs> yeah, it's like every single match is like a teal tequila. Yeah, that's funny. You know, they're they're like they're you know Tequila Tequila. You basically just kept coming back, and I know, and I, and I know like comics who've kept coming back, and you know Joe DeRosa or Hannibal Burris. I think Hannibal just did it once, but uh, yeah, I just I totally shat the bed. I, I did live commentary for Joey Janela's Lost in New York thing, and I totally shat the oh, bed nice. and uh, like announced that Sabu was going to be there before because I meant to make a Sandman joke, but I made a Sabu joke, so I had. Because, you know, a lot of it is run by people from the gathering. So, like, the guy who was the head gathering guy was really nice. But, like, some of the people that were under him were like, you fucked it up. You fucked it up. And I literally, <laughs> and I've told this story a million times already, but I grabbed my duffel bag and left out the back like I was, like, the monorail guy from The Simpsons or something. Like, I <laughs> just was sneaking away into the night. Um so did you have that, uh, well, like, you're... no, like, when you were in WWE, you know, for, uh, you know, like, on and off for short periods of time, did you kind of have that in the back of your head where you're like, yeah, this is fine, but I kind of wish I was back with the Freaks? Uh, well, I always knew that I would be back with the Freaks. Um, it just, like, in my head, I was just like, I didn't know if I belonged there, and I was just waiting till the day I got fired, I think. Uh, but I remember being in OVW, we are in developmental, and I think Ring of Honor at that time had just gotten television or pay-per-view and like it was such a but there was something really buzzing there. And I, I just kind of and I was just sitting there like going to practice, wanted to kill myself, honestly. Right. And, uh, you know, yeah, I have those thoughts of like, man, it'd be nice if I just left. But there was like a thing where like, I don't you know, I had, it hadn't been a year yet. So I just felt like it, I'm, in my head, I made this decision to go from the independence to WWE and sign the contract. And I was just like, all right, I gotta stay at least a year, other like otherwise everyone will kind of just see me as a failure. Um, and so, you know, in my head, it hadn't been a year yet, and I was just like, I just kind of got to get to a year, and then I could make a decision after that. But I, realistically, I wasn't gonna quit WWE. You know, I was, there's that hope, that hope that you could be one of those next guys. You know, that's the reality of it. Yeah, get paid a lot of money. You know, I I hear that. You know, it's it's funny. Like a lot of the WWE experience, I kind of hear. You know, similar things about SNL, like you really want to get in an SNL and then you get an SNL and you're like, oh, this is a nightmare. <laughs> I, I, I didn't, yeah. uh, you know, like I'm constantly worried about my spot. I, I'm here for long hours. Sometimes I don't have to be here for long hours. There's 
some sort of code. There's some sort of like, you know, code and how things are run, but you don't really know what the fuck it is. So you're like on pins and needles uh, the entire time. Yes. And I used to, I also, it's funny you say that because I would make an SNL analogy when I was fired because a lot of me, a lot of myself like questioned whether I was good enough to be a wrestler, you know, like they, that's where they say whether you're a wrestler. And then like you, you know, I would look at like Jenny Slade or Rob Riggle or even, you know, Brooks Whelan a little bit later. And you're just like, oh yeah, these people are amazing comedians. Yeah. Uh, and they're now amazing. You, you and what Kenny they Omega do. and you're like, yeah, I guess WWE isn't everything. Right. And right. And like we shouldn't allow the system to say like you don't belong in wrestling or you don't belong in show in showbiz or comedy. And so um, that was an analogy I used a lot to kind of justify my my worth or life in wrestling. Um, but yeah, yeah. I, yeah and I imagine uh, the McMahon and the Lorne Michaels uh, are very so so similar in the way that they kind of scare people and probably in real life like aren't that scary. They're probably just normal dudes. But, you know, we as performers put them on pedestals because they kind of control the industry and they control our futures. And so we want our future to be, you know, as bright as it can be, as opposed to, you know, slumming it on the indies uh, in, in both comedy and wrestling. Well, I, I also think it's like whenever you're put in a position of power and you're lauded that much, it's just human nature to be like, oh, I'm right all the time. You know, it's <laughs> sure. just like if you're not remi- like I remember I was I was definitely more of an asshole in 2013 when I was like. Ooh, I got a variety comic to watch. I have a Fox deal. I have all this shit. I'm going to be the next fucking big thing. And then when that shit doesn't work out a year or two later, you're a lot more fun to work with. <laughs> Cause you're like, you're like, Hey, you know, Oh, this business is in flux all the time. And it's about having fun and relationships. And it's not necessarily about being, you know, like one of the things that like, you know, like Steve Austin, I feel like says about wrestling on his podcast a lot. And I'm so glad I don't have this, as a comedian now, and I, I don't, you know, think just from my conversation with you and, you know, the little I know about you outside of this, he's just like, oh, if you're not in the business to be the top guy, then you're in the wrong business. And I was like, I am so glad I don't have that philosophy anymore. <laughs> like, just for myself yeah. personally, like, uh, and, and I think about, you know, like, even last night when I'm with my girlfriend and I was, you know, like, kind of thinking about I was my head was in my career and, you know, some good stuff that was happening, and, uh, you know, she's like, hey, you got to, like, also put some work into this fucking relationship. And I'm like, yeah, you're right. Like, <laughs> like it's not just like, you know, like me in my uh, late 20s would be like, no, it's career, 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 career. And now you're like, yeah, that's not the shit that makes you happy. It's, you know, you kind of got to build a life around it, you know, because, no, you know, we're all fucking stardust, man, not to sound hippy dippy. But, you know, it's like, are you having fun? Are you making a living off it? Then you're a success. Congrats, you made it. Well, I don't know. Jim Ross would always come down in developmental, and he would say the same thing. Like, if you don't want to be, and they would say that too. Dusty would say that all the time. Like, if you don't want to be the top of the card, if you don't want to be the star of WrestleMania, then you shouldn't be here. And I was always just like, well, I guess I shouldn't. Like, even then, I was like, I guess I shouldn't be here because I just want to be Junkyard Dog. That's all I want to be. It's all I ever wanted to be. I just want to be like, I want to have a 20-year career. Like, I just want to, like, go on the arenas uh, travel around, be on the show, like pe- kids love me, and just uh, I just want a, a job, I just want a gig, and that's awesome, and people love me. And then my mentality was always like, you know, I bet if Junkyard Dog wasn't on so much cocaine and all, you know, fucked up his whole life, he probably would have been a top guy, and he was in, Mem- uh, you know, for for Watts. So 
my mentality was always just like, I, I don't want to do something. I, I just want to be me. I want to wrestle my style. And I think that eventually like people will get behind it and it'll, it'll make me a top guy because I, people will like me so much as my wrestling style. It's so weird and different from everybody else. And I didn't have an opportunity to do that, but you're right. That is something that someone always said. And, you know, especially when Jim Ross and Steve Austin, all these people say that a lot of you as a performer has to be like, well, I guess this is, you have to have that mentality. But I remember always thinking like, I don't, I don't have that mentality and I'm okay with it. Yeah. You know, there's, there's no one right way to do. And also it's like, nobody's going to get the numbers. Like the way that the entertainment business has worked in general now it's like people were like, ooh, like New Japan is really gonna be able to challenge, uh, you know, WB. It's like, no, it's not, and that's, and that's fine. It's like now there's just gonna be a bunch of different options for different people. Like WB now couldn't compete with WWE in the late '90s because now we have so many more options. You know, and now it's like, you know, you know, you know, you know what the real competition for any entertainment uh, group is? It's it's a group text or a meme. <laughs> That's what we're competing against. We're not competing against right. other shows anymore. We're competing against that we have a bunch of different fucking ways to entertain ourselves, you know? So, you know, and in, in some ways it's harder. In some ways it's more exciting. But, you know, it's like those days of even stand-up, the days of, like, Carson making you. Like, nobody can make you anymore, you know? It's like I've done four late-night sets, and they're they're a nice thing to send, but... Ultimately, it's not, you know, it's not something that's going to like ever, you know, it's helped me get a next thing, but it's never been like, I've never, you know, like, like there's only few moments, I think, in entertainment and wrestling where, or, or even other mediums where it's the, I have arrived, you know, that's, that's not 2018 anymore. Right. It took uh PCO 30 years to say I have arrived. Right. Exactly. And he's, yeah, he's an incredible, oh my God, I, I love his shit, man. I was actually... I was talking to him before uh, the Lost in New York event, and he was it's just such a sweet guy, you know? He can do a fucking moonsault when you're 50. Yeah, well, so could Terry Funk. That's true. That's true. I hope he's doing all right. I heard health-wise he was a, you know, prayers go out to him. Um, I, uh, what was it like working with, just because I'm so interested, I always, I was watching, there's a really funny comedian who I wrote with on, um, on the break with uh, uh, Michelle Wolf, and he's a really funny uh, New York comedian named Anthony DeVito. And you, I know you worked you worked with uh, uh, the Great Collie, and you, and we were always like, every time the Great Collie came to the ring, we were always like worried about his health. Or we're like, it looks like it hurts when he walks. You know, God, I th- wait, Tony DeVito from the Baldies is wrote with you? No, Anthony DeVito. Do you know him? I mean, I know Tony DeVito. Tony DeVito. There's two different DeVitos, so maybe it's the same yeah, guy. Yeah, De- DeVito from ECW. No, not that guy. Different guy. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, but it's, yeah, so a lot of, it's lot so of funny in, in both businesses. Uh, ten years. I, I just got like on my Twitter like ten years ago, the great Kali beat Scotty Goldman, and like that. People were forwarding it to me on my Twitter line, and I just, I remember. You know, his finish was like he picks me up by the head and slams you down. I don't know if you remember that with two yeah. hands on each side. And I just remember him like being so pissed at me afterwards saying like I didn't jump and get up for him. He was so pissed, which really? probably, you know, led to the demise of, of my career there. And I was just thinking like you're the biggest, strongest person I know in my life. 
like you can't I mean, I jumped good enough. I just assumed like you would do some kind of lifting and I don't think he moved his arms at all. Like he just assumed I would jump and I'm like, I don't know. I'm not Evan Bourne. I'm, I'm a fat, dumpy Jewish kid, you know, like what am I going to fucking do? Well, it's, um, it's like he's big, but in like a George Muris that way where you're kind of like worried. <laughs> yeah, no, but I would see him at the gym and he, I mean, you know, he was like a bodybuilder and he lifted. Yeah. I know what you're saying, but. He was he was big. Do you think that there's the, it's interesting because you know you think that 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 could have been one of the reasons you know you were kind of uh, I don't want to use the word blacklisted but it didn't work out over there or something like that. Do you think that there's almost like a hierarchy like okay well this top guy pisses on this top guy uh, on this guy so then that goes down the line where everyone just keeps burying the guy that's right beneath them. Yeah, and sometimes you know that could like. I don't know, like that that thing with Leo Rush where he, um, where he tweeted about somebody who got fired and oh Emma who got fired and was just like, there was everybody was on him and he it could have you know like it it could have went to where he got fired but at least like someone was nice enough to be like we're not firing the guy and then he gets a chance to you know, work his way back. And he does. I guess he's on the main roster now. So, um, you know, I, I think that there's definitely that mentality. I've been a part of that mentality in terms uh, of against me and also against others too. You know, that's just kind of how the, the wrestling locker room works. Um, but it, and it, it does take, like I, I did that in ring of honor. And I remember Gabe being like, I'm, we're not firing this guy. You know, he's great. And I'll be like, Oh, okay. Um, and so, yeah, I think um, it just takes Vince McMahon and people being like, we're not getting rid of this guy. Well, it's also one of these things, too, where there's just like, um, you know, a friend of mine uh, who's a comic is, um, has always said, you know, because of social media and, and our lives being so exposed that somehow everyone expects a perfect record from people, you know, um, when the fact is we're all fallible and, you know, like, you know, pain's been inflicted upon us. We've inflicted pain on other people and. You know, and it's it's just hard because it's like, you know, because of I think where our country is right now, you know, it's like you write one fucking tweet from 2008 when you're a completely different person and you're like, yeah, I own it. But then if you own it, then you're like, well, get the fuck out of here. You know, there's still like that. What's like, well, you, you know, I mean, you know, like I can't imagine if I, I, I cannot imagine being I guess Leo Rush was like probably like 19 years old at the time, like working at a company like that. And not doing something fucking stupid. I just can't imagine it, you know? With, yeah, with remember the... Ren- Rene Dupree? Yeah, that is a perfect example. Yeah, I mean, he was 18. I think he was 14 when he started wrestling, and he was just a punk kid. You know, the same thing with Zach Gowan. I mean, I, I think Zach, I don't know, allegedly, you know, like Zach Gowan's kind of blackballed from that company for the stuff that he did when he was 21. And he's, I don't know, he's in his, like, 33 right now. And he Zach's a sweetheart. He's, you know, he's found God. And he's just a, he's just a, a nice, normal human being. But he's forever not going to be allowed back, you know, in that company um, because, uh, you know, of the way that he handled himself at 21, 22 when he was a real a real punk kid. Now, I mean, I don't know if that's the, the reality of it. But, you know, I've, I've always asked. I'm like, what's the story? And they're just like, yeah, he's kind of a, they don't like to talk about him over there. I think that's another thing, too, where it's like, you know, personally, when that happens to you, too, it's like, that's also on, you know, it's something, that, I don't know, are you in therapy? I'm in therapy. No. Uh, well, I, I, you know, it's it's like a lot of it, too, is like, 
you know, it's like people pleasing, you know, for, for like, it's like, it's like, all right, well, you know, that, that bridge is not, you know, like, you know, that bridge is burned, whether or not, you know, I'm accountable for that or the, that person's, I can be responsible for the shit that I'm accountable for. And then kind of accept that and rebuild my life in other ways and not define myself by that particular failure of mine, but not run away from it either. Um, but I think it's hard sometimes, you know, like you're this unique case where you're able to, you know, with the art of wrestling podcast and with, you know, what you've been able to do outside of the business, you're, you have created a space for yourself where you're like, Hey, I'm not, I, I, I'm not defined by getting let go by, of W by WB or I'm not defined by, you know, this one snafu that could have happened, you know, like it's, there's a bigger picture here. And I, and I think that gives a lot of hope to everybody, especially everybody, which is what, why I love that Matt classic shoot interviews. I, I used to do kind of like fake shoot interviews too. Um, you know, like, so you don't become this bitter old man who, like, thinks the entire world wronged them. Because, you know, the longer you hold on to these resentments in life, the more, you know, they're eventually just going to take you down. The other person's not fucking thinking about it. Yeah, I mean, I use that to fuel my energy to succeed. Like, I didn't want WWE to tell me that I, I couldn't be successful in wrestling and that's essentially what a lot of people, you know, happen. I, I was in the system. I watched everybody get fired and I watched one by one people just get real jobs and start families and just not do what they love to do. And I was like, no, this is what I love to do. And so, um, you know, I let it fuel me. You know, I, I started a web, you know, when I got fired, they told me creative has nothing for you. So we started a website, a, a web series called creative has nothing for you. Um, <laughs> and, and I, I, uh, you know, I, I said to myself, like, I wouldn't allow, like, I wouldn't allow, like, I want, I didn't want someone to be able to fire me anymore. And I didn't want to put all my eggs in one basket. And I essentially, I put all my eggs in the WWE basket. You know, I got rid of ColtCabana.com, the website. I got rid of like all my other stuff, like ColtCabana.com, ColtCabana was gone. And like, I was assuming that WWE would take me to this promised land and then, once I got fired, I had to restart over, and I was just like, I'm not going to allow that to happen to me anymore. And that's why I just totally, you know, I, different streamlines of, of income or satisfaction or whatever yeah. it might be, you know. So if one thing goes down, I still have eight more things to kind of do. And so um, that's kind of allowed me peace over the last 10 years. Have you seen people, though, here's my, and it's my question, because I always wonder, like, you know, and I think I could be, like, I, I always think of myself as, like, you know, like I'm not like, you know, especially as far as stand up, you know, I, 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 I can safely say that like, Hey, I really did it, you know, like, and I could, you know, go into writing full time and, or, and eventually even maybe down the line transfer into a different career. And I kind of know, I, I think I know that I could be happy, you know? Um, but have you seen the, you know, I know that some people, you know, they lose you know, passionate with they love when they quit WWE, but have you seen the opposite? Have you seen people leave and then find another vocation, whether it's a nine to five or some other passion? And like, have you seen somebody kind of leave the business and be like, hey, I'm an insurance agent now. And you know what? I have a pretty good life. I'm pretty happy with it. Yeah. 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 I mean, people do go on to have great lives, but you know, they'll always say how much they love wrestling and how right. much, you know, it, but it's just like a reality. It's like you, sometimes you just got to move on couple people that i mean i don't know if you remember trent beretta had a partner kaylin croft he was the they were the dude busters together yeah 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 i um, do remember yeah 
Yeah, he's like a art teacher, and he was always like he was kind of like Bret Hart, where he would always be drawing in the locker rooms and popping the boys and doing characters and cartoons. And so, you know, he's an art teacher in Florida, and he's very happy. But you know, I bet if you told him like, hey, you'd have this another ten year run, you know, he'd probably jump at it. And I think yeah. Matt Morgan's doing like Matt Morgan took a job. You know, I don't know if you remember, like Matt Morgan like took this job and it was a really good job, but then I, you know, Impact like offered him a couple dates and he jumped back at doing it like in a real in a perfect world he would have been like no i'm doing what i'm doing even uh muhammad hassan came back and did a couple of shows recently oh really i feel like if you got that itch like you know you always want to scratch it a little bit right yeah i guess it's like one of those you know i i I kind of made a bet for myself with stand-up which uh i (laughs) I, 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 I did this, I think, on purpose because I, I actually don't want to leave. And I was like, okay, I'm allowed to quit stand-up, but I'm only allowed to quit after I have a hot show. Like, after <laughs> I kill, then I'm allowed to quit. But I can't kill. I can't quit after a bad show. Which I think that was basically me saying, like, you're going to be in it forever. Because after you have a hot show, it's like, you know, you never want to really leave. And, I, and I've taken time off. I've taken a lot of this year. I've done the least amount of stand-up that I ever have. But... Um, I think so, uh, you know, starting to work the New York scene again, you know, it starts to you start to get that itch again. And it's it's not even about having the best set. It's just being around all these other like creative people and other people that are really good at it. But what for you, like what was the and I'm not talking about a career highlight, but the highest amount of serotonin you felt in the ring where it was like the biggest high that you had when you were in a ring. And it could be, you know, a tiny show it could be a gigantic show. Oh, I mean, there's so many of them, but um, when I returned to Ring of Honor in 2009, uh, it was me and, uh, well, it was Brian Danielson, who's Daniel Bryan now, obviously, against Jimmy Rave. Uh, I'm sorry, against Bison Smith, and it was a surprise partners, and Bison chose Jimmy Rave, and then, like, I was going to be Brian's surprise partner. This was in the Hammerstein, uh, you know, sold out. It's, I don't know what it holds there. 2,000, 2,500 people. And I remember, like, we, like, I had booked it. So, like, Brian at the time was doing something with, like, Grizzly Redwood, who was, like, an undercard guy. So, like, Grizzly came down as, like, the surprise partner, but it, it, the bell never rang. And then, like, Bison Smith just picked him up and threw him. And everyone was like, oh, that's the surprise partner. And then, like, my music hit and I came down and I cleared house. And, uh, like, it just, the um, I, I'm getting some shakes right now from it. Just uh, I got on the second I got on the second rope and I was like, yeah, and like everyone just like the whole place was fucking unglued. And like I just remember, I it's very rare that I've had this feeling, but I remember my knees were like weak and I was on the second rope. And I could barely hold myself up. Like there was just so much, just um, just emotions. Just you know, because it was this idea of like I had just been fired, but then I you know there was this whole community that still oh, loved wow. me and. And I was still over and, you know, and they were, they had my back and it it felt like the ultimate amount of sympathy, like just like all your friends being like, no, we, you're great. We still love you and, and we support you. And so I think that was, that's kind of the moment that really sticks in my head. That's fucking incredible. Um, we got to wrap this up in a little bit, but I, I actually want to, especially for you, because I know you're a guy with a lot of ideas. What do you, what's, uh, and you don't have to share, I'm not going to say the best, but what's, one of the best ideas that you have that you want to do that you haven't done yet or you tried to do it and it didn't work out for whatever was shut down and what do you think is the worst idea that you've come up with <laughs> um well 
you know, in in England they have these. Um, they have and these. This is the best uh, or worst. Just to preface it. Oh, I mean, I've got a lot of best ideas. I don't know what the worst idea. Well, I'm just. This is an idea. I don't know the best. Well, I have this idea for like this like state like improv wrestling stage show that I want to do that I'm trying to develop. And like kind of like an hour show, like I go to the fringe every year in Edinburgh and like I can kind of picture doing this for an hour every single night where it's like just like six wrestlers and we put together a whole narrative and, you know, the heel starts at the champ and then at the end the baby goes over. But it's also there's it's all improv and like the fans kind of pick what the moves and what the situation and why like why people, you know, like the the, it's like a choose your own um, adventure. Kind of, yeah. Like it's almost like a live action Mad Libs, if you yeah. will. Um, and so, like, I really like these are ideas that, like, it's wrestling, but it's out of the box that I really think uh, an audience could get into. Like, it could be like a thing that you would just see at UCB once a month. You know, like that's kind of like in my head. Where uh, one day I'll, I'll get it done, I'll do it. But you know, people have these ideas and they see it just like being amazing at first. But then you put it on and like four people come and you're like, "Well, this wasn't what I thought it was going to be." <laughs> you know, I feel that's everybody for everything, right? So yeah. <laughs> um, the what what's the worst idea? I uh, I don't know. I I once wrestled on the show called Totally Tool Wrestling, and he was like, "You can come as whatever you want to be." And I had this Twinkie costume that I wore for. Um, <laughs> for halloween like a, so tw- like a twinkie twink- like uh like a hostess twinkie yeah and uh <laughs> i wore that and i wrestled as twinkie the kid and then that was put on my wikipedia and then um <laughs> and now everyone always asks me about wrestling as twinkie the kid especially conan <laughs> and now conan won't fucking give it up and so he always brings it up as much as he can and uh it's probably uh i regret that the most hey look you fail big but you also succeeded big too that's part of it right um we gotta get off here but uh what would you like to promote sir good sir i always let you said that you know my mom says that when i'm on the phone my mom's 72 years old she's like all right i gotta get off and i'm just like oh Stop saying that. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how to end these. Like, like every time, like uh, I remember when I asked you, I was like, "I'm trying to do the WTF of a wrestling podcast," and you're like, "I already do that, motherfucker." But like, Marin always has a way that, like, when he ends, where he just like organically ends, and you know, I, I just don't have that yet. I haven't built that in my repertoire, so I apologize. It's going to be a little awkward on some of these transitions. That's uh, okay. I believe in you. Thank Keep you. with Thank it, you, brother. Appreciate it. Uh, I got a podcast, The Art of Wrestling. I changed it from uh, Marin-style talks of seven and a half years with some of your favorite professional wrestlers uh, to... Um, also, I didn't say I do that. I said Marin doesn't use Skype, all right? That's, <laughs> please don't. I don't want you to fucking come out here and tell everyone that I'm this egomaniac. No, I did not, I did say not that. do that. Come on, I buried myself. I did not I say that. I buried myself. My line was, my line was he doesn't use <laughs> Skype. Um, so my podcast. I, don't, I also now, don't have the money to travel to Chicago. So you know, you're you're doing this is. Think of it. This is like, you know, a Jimmy Carter Habitat for Humanity of podcasts. You're helping me out here. What? <laughs> you know, I'm I'm starting up. You know what I mean? This is a think of me. You know, as a this is like a good deed. This is like going to the soup kitchen. Okay. You know, we call that a we call that a mitzvah, my people. <laughs> there we go, mitzvah. Um, yeah, I changed my podcast style to I, I kind of do a, a, a documentary look at the independent wrestler's life 
uh, and I do that every week. And I'm always on the road. I have a crazy road schedule. And uh, if you want to give that a shot, I recommend episode four from the restart where I went to China and I wrestled in China. And it's kind of a look at um, what a, what an independent wrestler does to wrestle on one weird show in China. And uh, if you want to talk to me, at Colcaban on Twitter and Instagram. And uh, ColtMerch.com is my uh, my site with all the goodies. I have a, you know, I so if for the comedian fans, I did a, I, I did three documentaries, The Wrestling Road Diaries, one, two, and three. The first one was with Daniel Bryan before he went to the WWE. And the third one is a look at comedy in wrestling. It's called um, uh, Funny Equals Money, um, which is a line that Jim Cornette told me does not work. And uh, so I sold it. <laughs> I, I sold a CV I sold a DVD based off of the concept of it and made a lot of money off of it so, uh, <laughs> so but it's, it did work yeah yeah so it's a it's a look at comedy in wrestling uh, and, and it's really a look at like how how it works and how how hard it is to kind of be a comedy wrestler and I do that with uh, Kikutaro who's a 25 year Japanese vet and he's done comedy wrestling in front of you know 30,000 people Budokan Hall in Japan and and Grado who's uh uh, right now, who's uh, filming a, a BBC series? So uh, you know everyone's doing good except me. So I just need you to buy that DVD. So buy the <laughs> buy the CD, please, please. Yeah, buy the CD and uh, yeah, rate and uh, review and subscribe to our podcast, Total F and Marks on all things comedy. I'm co-hosting uh, The Ringer this month and next month with David Shoemaker. Uh, and uh, I, my album, No Real Winners, here is still available on all streaming platforms. It would be better for me if you bought it. And uh, I'm posting shows, and uh, I think this, I don't know if this is coming out tomorrow or next week. So, But check my website, dancehatermain.net, and, and I'll have a list of shows you all can go to. Uh, thank you so much, Colt. I really appreciate it. You got it.